0: Well, good morning, everyone. It's good to see you. If you're a guest, again, welcome. We are so glad that you've joined us today. And uh, my name is Josh. I'm the teaching minister here at Clear Creek, where our mission, our goal, our reason for being as a church is to lead our city, to help our friends... Connect with God and with one another. And so we're just glad that you're here today. If you have questions about anything that you've seen or about your next step, what it might mean to follow Christ, or maybe you're not even at that point, you're just kind of kicking the tires of faith, welcome. We'd love to be able to help you take those next steps or help you answer those questions. And so let me tell you, if you're, if you're kind of new or you're not sure what to do next... At the conclusion of this message, we're going to give you an opportunity to take a next step very easily. There's three ways to do it. One, uh, we're going to have a time of invitation at the end. Just fair warning. I'll be here, but some of our elders, the leaders of our church, will be on the other side of this wall in A2. If you need to talk to someone about anything, you just go back there. They'd love to visit with you. Or if you're ready to kind of figure out how to get plugged into this church or say, Yeah, this is my home. This is where I want to be. Uh, then you join us. Just come out here, the corner opposite of this wall over here, you'll see a banner that says starting point. You meet me there. I'll be there as will Evan Uh, Aldridge. He's the gentleman who baptized Tyler this morning and we'd love to help you take your next step of faith. And so that's the way we just like to encourage you to get involved here because our goal is not for you to simply warm a seat but to know Jesus and to take your next steps with him. In fact, next Sunday, We're going to take one Sunday to talk through a series, uh, just a real brief message called The Path. If you've ever wondered what your next step is, you need to be here next Sunday because we're going to give you some very tangible, accessible, and clear next steps for everyone in this room so that when you leave next Sunday, you will know more what it means to follow the Lord where you are in your walk ...than when you first came in. So that'll be next Sunday and I hope that you will join us there. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew chapter 12. That's the passage from which we will be studying this morning. We're in part two of a brief two-week series called Family, excuse me, Friends to Family that everyone... At one time, before they became family, before there was a husband and a wife, they were friends. But before that, they were strangers who became friends, who became, you know, who loved each other and then became husband and wife. And so we've been talking about what does it mean to go from being a friend to a family member. And we're going to look at a weird passage of Scripture today. In fact, one of the most awkward and I think maybe off-putting New Testament passages of Scripture, but we'll do that in just a moment. Before we get there, um, I I need to do just a little bit of a retraction from last Sunday. How many of you were here last Sunday? Can I see some hands? How many of you know what 4 plus 4 plus 4 equals? 12. How many of you know that your preacher apparently can't add. (laughs) Last Sunday, okay, here's the, can can we just talk? Here's the problem. There are moments when you're teaching or preaching, and and this is the moment. Parents, you think you're driving home a point with your kids. This is the moment. It's like the second Pentecost sermon. You're like, my kid's going to get saved right in this moment. As I tell, it's that moment. And there are moments when you're preaching, you're like, boy, this is the moment. It's just going to be a great moment. And I was driving home one point, which no one remembers now, because I get up here and I have four plus six plus four, but I go, hey, everybody, what is four plus four plus four? You know, and, th- and then I have people like, well, 12, that's not what it says, but 12. <laughs> All right. In fact, on the, on the drive home, uh, my son Stephen was riding with me home and uh, I said, hey, buddy, did you hear uh, where dad messed up this morning on his math? Silence. <laughs> I said, so I said, it was kind of funny, wasn't it? I start to hear this little snicker in the back, and it gets into this big, just belly laugh. And I'm like, that's enough, fine, okay. He then asked me the question, and and we talked about this already, but he said, uh, after he stopped laughing, he got real sort of somber, real serious. And he goes, "Um, Hey, Dad? I said, Yeah, buddy. How much math did you learn growing up? (laughs) And he starts to explain it. Well, you know, you've got addition, you've got subtraction, multiplication, you've got division, and if you're really smart, you've got Celsius. Is it Celsius? You mean calculus? Yeah, calculus. And so so, um, I'll uh, I'll work on my math for next Sunday, but I'm glad that you guys came back even after that last week. Here's what I've found out from even that situation is that there's a lot that God allows us to learn from family. Some of life's most enduring truths come about because of relationships with our families. And one of the things we're about to see here in this passage is our big brother, our Savior and friend, Jesus Christ, is going to make a profound truth statement, a profound reality shift for so many of us, and he does it with an awkward moment with his family And so I want to take you now to Matthew chapter 12. We're going to read just a few verses beginning in verse 46. And we're going to read a verse, then unpack it, read it, unpack it. But here's what it says. While Jesus was still talking to the crowd. By the way, let's just pause there. Quick setting note. We are told, if you go back just a page or two in your New Testament, that Jesus was traveling around an area called Galilee. In fact, let me show you what it looks like. Galilee is this region right here. You have the Mediterranean Sea on the west. You have all of this was Israel. And right here is a portion of Israel during the first century called Galilee. In fact, Jesus was raised in a city right here called Nazareth. This was Jesus' stomping ground. He's in his own backyard. He's in his very own Hickson, Tennessee, doing a speaking tour. And he's going from place to place, sharing the good news of God, teaching, loving, healing, freeing people from those who are under the oppression of demonic forces. And he is on a speaking tour, and he's continuing One of his lessons, and we find out if you go to chapter 13 and verse 1, you'll notice that it says Jesus then leaves the house. So Jesus is in a house. He's in the middle of a conversation. This is one of his big teaching moments. And this happens. While Jesus was still talking to the crowd, his mother and brothers stood, now notice this word, outside. Wanting to speak to him. Someone told him, your mother and brothers are standing, notice this word again, outside wanting to speak with you. Now you say, why were they outside? There's all sorts of reasons. Perhaps the house was too full. Perhaps, uh, you know, maybe they were just passing through. But who knows? But they are outside outside. I want to ask you a quick question. Have you ever heard the phrase, someone is on the outs with someone else? Have you ever heard the phrase, someone is on the outs? Go ahead, let me see some hands. If you've ever heard someone say, someone is on the outs, and it means someone is disconnected, something has some strain or tension in a relationship, someone is on the outs with someone else. Matthew was a brilliant writer, the the one who wrote This particular account of the ministry of Jesus Christ. He's a brilliant writer. We looked at some of his brilliance last week in the genealogy of Matthew chapter 1. If you missed that last week, I invite you to go back and and listen. By the way, just as another aside, Tim, uh, here in the back. By the way, everyone just say, hi, Tim. (laughs) Tim's working back here. After last Sunday, I said, hey, Tim, any chance you can work your magic and edit the video from last Sunday? It is brilliant what he did. There's the teaser. Go watch it. And so Matthew... Matthew is an incredible writer. He is making not simply a factual statement that they're outside, but he is trying to create for us and in our minds an understanding about a spiritual posture, not simply a physical posture. That those who knew him most were outside. That they were not with Jesus where he was. In fact, what he wants us to understand is that his brothers were there not because they wanted to hear what he had to say, but because they were concerned with what he was saying. You say, Josh, where do you get that from? Go to Mark's account of this very same story, chapter 3, and you'll see they say Jesus is crazy. His own family thought he was nuts. They didn't believe his claims. In fact, if you go to John chapter 7 and verse 5, we are told that the brothers of Jesus Christ did not believe his claims. You say, now, I know for some of us, if you grew up maybe in a different uh, faith tradition, you may go, wait, Jesus had siblings. Yes, the scripture is very clear that Jesus is the half-brother to these kids, meaning his mother is Mary, his father is God. But then his mother Mary and his father Joseph come together and they have more children, in fact, there's a couple of different places in Scripture where we're told their names. In fact, one of their names is James. James writes a beautiful little letter in the, near the end of the Bible... So at one point, the brothers do not believe, but later, they, many of them come to believe. This is the beautiful thing about the Lord. He is patient with us, willing us to him. But at this time, they are outside. They are not those who believe, and they've come to take him home to say, Jesus, come on, you're going to mess things up for yourself. People, people are starting to say things about you. That there's rumors now spreading. There's people who want to do harm to you. Come on, Jesus, let's go home. They are outside. Isn't it interesting that those who knew him the most seem to understand him the least? And it's not because they didn't know who Jesus was, right? Think about all the times they must have had growing up with him. They would have been there when they saw Jesus working with Joseph as a carpenter. They would have been there as Jesus' voice began to change during those awkward years where he grew from an adolescent to a grown man. They would have seen Jesus as he interacted with his mother Mary. They would have seen Jesus as he went to synagogue and read Torah, the scriptures. They knew him so well, but they did not believe his claims. This is a very important point. In fact, go ahead and put this up on screen. You need to know that proximity to Jesus is not the same thing as faith in Jesus. Proximity, how physically close you are to Jesus, is not the same thing as faith in Jesus. Just because I show up on Sunday, after Sunday, after Sunday, does not mean I have faith in Jesus Christ. Listen, just because I know the stories of the Bible doesn't mean that I have embraced the truth of those stories. It is more than simply attending church. There is a decision, as we saw this morning with Tyler, it is a personal decision to say, not only do I know about, but I have faith in Jesus. And so they stood outside. And Jesus, taking this moment, goes, this is a great, teachable moment. This is an awesome moment that I'm going to use. He leverages it to communicate something about his family. Notice what Jesus says in the next verse here. He says, He replied to him, Who is my mother and who are my brothers? By the way, how many of you might be slightly offended if one of your children seems to disown you to strangers? Now some of you go, No, that'd be okay. They could disown me. I'm really okay. No, no, okay. Who is my mother? Who are my brothers? Jesus, to a crowd who knew his family. Remember, he's in his own backyard. He's in Galilee where everybody knew everybody. He's in a place. They know Jesus. They know Mary. They know his brothers. They know his sisters. They knew his daddy, Joseph. They know him. And yet Jesus says, let's just talk about this for a minute. Who are my mom and my brothers? In other words... Who is my family? Who is a part of this central, connected unit? Who are my mother and my brothers? And I wonder, have you ever had that moment where you want to just make things sort of sit in the air? Have you ever sort of said something and you just sort of pause to see what sort of response you'll get? I wonder if he said it, if he he said, Okay, who is my mother? And who are my brothers? And then if he just sort of sat silent as those around him start going, well, wait, what? Jeez, I, I don't understand the question. Didn't, didn't they just say your mom and your brothers are outside? And I wonder if he paused to let the question sink in, that it is more than just where you're born. It is what you believe. And he then says something that, yeah, man, If you, imagine for a moment. You're sitting around the circle of Jesus. You're listening to his teaching. And everything about this guy compels you to be closer. Everything about him sort of is just sort of like, wow, where does he get this? And and there's something genuine about him, and he has a way with people, and he is so kind, he's so gentle, he's strong when he needs to be, but boy, he's just someone I want to be close to. You're listening to this, and he asks the question: Who is my mother? Who are my brothers? And then he says this phrase. Notice what he says here. Pointing to his disciples, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. Could you imagine if Jesus Christ walked into this room today in the flesh and pointed to you and said, You are my brother. You are my sister. Church, how would that not just change your day, how would that change your life? If Jesus in the flesh, in front of a group of people said, you are my family, what would that do to change the way you think about yourself? What would that do to change the way you view sin? What would that do to affect how you operate over the next, not only few minutes, but week, month, year? Because then in years to come, you look back and you say, I am a brother of Jesus Christ. I am a sister of Jesus Christ. Can you imagine what it would be like to be in God's family? And you go, well, I'm in God's family. I know, but think with me for a moment here. Sometimes when we use the word family, for some in this room, family is a really thorny Word, Because we don't have pictures of family gatherings. We don't have pictures of affirming words and hands that are used to hug. We do not, some of us, have that in our mental landscape. What we do have is a lot of pain. A lot of betrayal. Perhaps distance. But think about what it would be like in the family of God. Where the only time words are spoken are to heal and to help, never to harm. Can you imagine what it must be like if you got to sit around a dinner table with God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit? That's your family. You sit there. Can you imagine the kind of words they would speak over you? Can, can you imagine if, if you needed a hug, what kind of hug would God give? Would that be like just the most amazing thing in the world? You go, I'm not a hugger. Fine. At the time you need a high five, how amazing would that be? Like you do this, this whole hand. <laughs> okay, I mean just how amazing would it be? And to know that whenever he reaches for you, it is never to harm you. It is always out of love that he reaches for you as a child, as a brother, as a sister. Can you imagine what it would be like? And I just think about Who must have been around that circle when Jesus said this? When he said, you're my family. You've got loudmouth Peter. How many of you just love Peter in the Bible? I mean, I, I read this guy. I love Peter because... He had a serious case of foot-in-mouth disease all the time. Constantly doing things, constantly saying things. He's even, hear me now, he is even called Satan one time by Jesus. How much, how many words that just don't get filtered must come out for Jesus to say, you're acting like Satan, knock it off. And Jesus says to Peter, you're my family, What about Mary Magdalene? You say, wait a minute, she's not an apostle. I know. He says, disciples. There were 12 apostles, but many disciples. Imagine Mary Magdalene, one of the women, we're told that many women followed after Jesus. Mary Magdalene, a woman who became a good friend of Jesus and the followers, a woman we're told who had been afflicted with seven evil spirits, but God, Jesus, had cast them out and she's there. It's like, even someone who has a past like that, I'm your family. I'm your sister. Guys, let me tell you something. If you have sisters, you know how important they are to you. I have three sisters, one who's older, two who are younger. And they knew, they knew that if anyone messed with them, although I was small, I would defend them. I would knock someone's kneecaps, whatever I had to do. But the reality is... When you know you have family that will go to bat for you, it changes everything. Home is where you long to be. It's not where you try to get away from. And then there's another guy who would have been in that circle. In fact, his name is at the top of your page most likely right there. Matthew. Can you imagine what it would have been like to be Matthew sitting in that circle and he's taking mental notes of all that he's hearing because one day, one day he writes it down. But he's sitting there and God in the flesh says to you, you're my family. What do we know about Matthew, church? He was a tax collector. You go, so what? What does that mean? He was paid by the Roman government, the oppressive regime, To extort, to take, to do whatever he had to, to get tax money from his neighbors to give to Rome. He was hated by his people. And yet one day Jesus comes along to Matthew while he's at work at his tax counting money and says, you follow me. And he says, okay, you don't get an offer like that but once in a life. And here he is sitting there thinking back to what he did and he says, I am part of God's family. Jesus says... Not out there, but in here. You are my family. Let me say something to some of you in here. You have not gone so far. Hear me now. You have not gone so far that the grace of God cannot reach you. It doesn't matter what you've done, where you've been, who you've done it with, or when it happened. It could have been last night, and the grace of Jesus is bigger than your past, it is greater than your sin, and he longs to call you family. He says you can be family. In fact, you may have had the worst week of your life. You may have done something this week for which you are ashamed. There may be something like, oh no, I I said something. I wish I hadn't said. I did something I wish I didn't do. I thought something I wish I didn't think. I harm someone in a particular way and although there are consequences the reality is Jesus Christ says I paid it for you you get to be part of my family. So here's the question. How? How? What is it that makes someone not an outsider but someone who's here as part of his family? Is it proximity? No, there's something more to it. So notice what Jesus says verse 50. He says, for whoever, don't you love that word? For whoever. Everybody, let's just say for whoever. You ready? One, two, three. For whoever. Are you a whoever, church? Yep. Excuse me, a whomever. Are you someone? Are you a person? For whoever. Notice this, though, what he says. For whoever does, notice this, the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. If you want to be part of the family of God, past forgiven, present covered, future secured, do this. You say, great, what does that mean? What is the will of God? What does that mean exactly? I won't take you to it this morning, but if you have time later this week, go to John chapter 6 and verse 40 where Jesus says, God's will is that you believe in him. That you believe Jesus is God. Okay, so what does that mean? Let's talk about it for a second here. When we talk about faith, there's a lot of misconceptions about faith. What is faith? How do you have faith? What kind of faith is it? Here's the reality. When he says belief in Jesus, that is the will of God, for you to believe that Jesus is God, that he came, he lived, he loved, he died, he rose, and now he is there for you. If that's what it means, what does that look like practically? Because there are different kinds of faith. I've got a chair right here. This chair, I want you to think about this as symbolic of something on which we might place our faith. There are different kinds of faith. The first layer of faith that we're even told the demons themselves have, you can say, what? Yep, it's in the Scriptures. I'll show it to you later. The first layer of faith or belief is simply cognitive or mental agreement faith that says, yep, I see it. There's a chair. By the way, can you guys see the chair? You believe it's there? Congratulations, you have mental faith that there is a chair. It is not practical faith because I'm not interacting with the chair. I'm not doing anything with the chair. You have the same kind of faith when you hear someone talk about uh, Abraham Lincoln. You never saw him. You've never heard his voice, but you believe that he is there. But if you were someone to say, how has Abraham Lincoln affected you this morning in your decision of what to do or where to go, chances are you didn't say, you know what, he profoundly impacted my life today. It's intellectual faith. There's a deeper level of faith, though, as well. The second layer, we might just call it occasional faith. It's the periodic leaning on or trusting in something beyond just knowing it's there, but periodically leaning on or putting your trust in it. So, for instance, you get a little tired, you come over and just kind of lean against it. Oh, that's better. I just need to kind of lean against it. Other people call this foxhole faith. It's the moment when life goes bad and it's in that moment that you pray. And by the way, God hears those prayers, I have no doubt about it, but that is not where he wants you to stay, where you simply come to him periodically when you need something, but always, always, always. So you've got mental faith, you've got occasional faith, the faith he's talking about, to believe in Jesus. It's not that you just believe that there is a Jesus or that you periodically sort of lean on him when things are tough. The faith he's talking about is one where you put the full weight of your life on and to Jesus. True faith, the faith Jesus is talking about, doing the will of the Father is where you entrust the full weight of your life on Jesus. Everything about you is resting on Jesus. There is no part of you Supported by something else than Jesus. Let me give you just a few practicals this morning. Let me ask you a question, church. This morning, where do you find your faith or trust when it comes to your finances? Are you supported knowing that Jesus, that God will provide for your needs or something else? If you entrusted the full weight of your wallet, to Jesus. Let me ask you another one, church, this morning. Have you entrusted Jesus with the full weight of your forgiveness? Not just that He's forgiven you, but in the moments where someone has done you wrong, do you look at the teachings of Jesus where He says, turn the other cheek, forgive 70 times 7, love your enemies, treat them well? Have you put the full weight of forgiveness? on Jesus, even when it does not make sense, even when it's difficult, do you say, my way would be to reject or get revenge, but Jesus' way that I would forgive. Have you put the full weight of your forgiveness on Jesus? Let's talk a few more. Church, have you put the full weight of your sexuality on Jesus? What you think about, what you see, what you say, what you hear, what you participate in, how you identify yourself. Have you put the full weight of who you are on Jesus? Or are you relying on something else, someone else, some other thing? See, this is what it means to have faith in Jesus. To do the will of God the Father is to say, even when it does not make sense, I rest The weight of my life on Jesus Christ, no matter what I'm going through. I remember a few years ago, a man I greatly respect was talking about how he and his wife had for a number of years been saving to get hardwood floors in their house. Hardwood floors. Ah, By the way, we may be getting a house very soon and it has some hardwood floors. Ah. And he's talking about this. They've been saving for almost 10 years for hardwood floors. They were so excited about it. They picked out the right color. They got a great deal. They even had someone ready to install the hardwood floors. And then he said, a friend of his who was a missionary said that they were in desperate need of funds for a particular clinic with a particular problem, with a particular situation. And he said what the guy needed was the exact amount of money that he and his wife had been saving for. And he said, in that moment, I did not feel very spiritual In fact, I told my wife, sweetheart, I think we should push up the date that we purchase and install the hardwood floors because I don't know that I want to do this. And it's a cool story because as God walked through it, as he and his wife, as they felt like God was leading them to do this, and by the way, I'm not telling you to go give your money for hardwood floors to some missionary. That's not the point. What he did though is he said, I trust that whatever Jesus asks of me, whatever he says in the word and teaches, whatever he calls me to, it is good and for my good. I can trust him. Let me tell you something, church. Whatever Jesus calls you to do, although it may be difficult, it will always be for you you're good because yours is not an abusive father or big brother. Ours is a God who said, I will give whatever it takes to get you back. You see, right now in heaven, we're told there's a great banquet table. And if you've ever had a great spread of food, you know that the meal is only as good as the company. And around this great banquet table are empty seats for those that he wishes to bring and to fill his table. But there's a problem. You and I were separated because of our sin and so he sent his son. He said, I love you so much. I'll give you my boy. I'll give whatever it takes just so I can have you home. And you need to know if there is a God And if that God loved you so much that he gave his own son, then any time he calls you to obedience, it will never be because he's trying to hurt you. It's because that same God is calling you deeper still. And he's saying, this is the way forward there are those who have yet to come from the outside in. And he says, But anyone, anyone, anyone can move from a friend to part of my family. How? Obey the will of my Father in heaven. And here's the beautiful thing if you will, the promises that Jesus is right now inviting all who are outside his family to come into his family. And when you do, there's going to be a celebration. There's going to be that moment, just like so many of you have seen, around the window of the delivery room when that child is born and everyone just goes crazy. Because right there in this little nursery area when the child is presented, everyone goes, that's ours. They're here. And when you come into the family of God, you need to know that God never gets over the fact that you're a part of his family. Jesus, your big brother, says, yes, yes, yes.